Now I'm going to invite Charlie forwards to read out of uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, just verses 1 through 3, and uh, continuing our series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Thanks, Charlie. Taking it back, one one of us is hurting, we are all hurting. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church, the Thessalonians, and God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades. Thank you, Charlie, for that reading. Well, maybe some of you are familiar with a movie called Shenandoah with uh, Jimmy Stewart. Growing up, um, that was one of the movies that my family watched uh, countless times was Shenandoah. We actually didn't live too far um, from that uh, part of the country. And Stewart plays the role of a man named uh, Charlie Anderson, who lived in Virginia, kind of in the middle of uh, the the war that was uh, beginning between the North and the South, the Civil War. And one of the opening scenes in the movie has always stuck out in my mind, and I want to play it for you this morning. In just a moment, we'll pull that up. Stuart sits down with his large family, mostly boys, to pray before a meal. And at the end of the table, opposite him, is an empty seat. And it's in the, you know, the foreground of the shot. And you'll notice it prominently. That's, the camera's almost looking kind of through the, the empty seat where his late wife used to sit, having died giving birth to their youngest uh, son. And in his prayer, you can almost hear some of that pain and maybe even bitterness that's still there in his voice. But I think we're going to learn some things about gratitude from this uh, from this little uh, prayer. So let's play that clip. We'll play it twice, actually, so you can make sure you hear it good. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. Funny and sad all at the same time. Growing up before I even understood what was going on there fully, I used to laugh at this prayer. Somehow I realized that he was just paying lip service to God in that moment, saying thank you, but not really 
giving thanks. Perhaps you've prayed that way. Perhaps many Sundays we come in here feeling that way. I hope there's a word for you this morning here today. There are days, if we're honest, when we all struggle with that kind of um, perspective on things. That sort of, that way of giving thanks, if you will. Just kind of a rubber stamp type thing. Well, nothing could be more opposed to Paul's way of seeing things. When we read these letters of Paul, we get the sense that he was overflowing with thanksgiving. And often right at the very start of his letters, when he's greeting the recipients of the letter, he is expressing gratitude. It just comes, spills out of the pages, out of Paul's heart. Let me just give you a quick sampling. We're going to flip through a few of the letters here really quickly together. Don't feel like you have to flip with me if you don't want to. I'm going to, I've got six or seven readings we're just going to do right here at the start, little short snippets. We'll start with Romans uh, chapter one, uh, verse eight. And we're just going to see how Paul gives thanks over and over again in the opening of his letters and in, in many cases for the people he's writing to, right? He's giving thanks for what God is doing in them. Verse 8 of Romans chapter 1. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. He goes on to say, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Paul is just beaming with gratitude. And flip to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. We'll see the same thing there. Verse 4, this is uh, chapter 1, verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. All right, there it is again, giving thanks. And he goes on. These prayers are sometimes lengthy of him expressing his thanks to God. Now flip to Ephesians chapter 1. You'll see it there also in Ephesians Galatians is a notable exception to this rule and one or two other letters. And there's, of course, there's some rationale, at least with the Galatian letter, that I won't go all into here at this point. But Ephesians chapter 1, uh, 15 and 16. For, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. There it is again. Paul, so thankful for God's work in the lives of these people. And then Philippians, if you'll flip to the book of Philippians, again, if you want to, you can just listen if that's easier. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Deeply grateful. Colossians, flip to Colossians. You'll see it there too in chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. And he goes on. So thankful. And then we'll see in 2 Timothy there, flip over a few books to get to Second Timothy 
chapter 1. You'll see it here also. Excuse me. In verse 3 there. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. There it is again. Paul, so thankful for the work that God is doing in the lives of these people he knows. So here in 1 Thessalonians, we see Paul doing that here also, giving thanks in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1, which is where our focus will be this morning. But this is no Charlie Anderson style of thanksgiving. Charlie Anderson being the, the main character in the Shenandoah movie there. There are several things that set Paul's thanksgiving apart from what I might call, what we might label a worldly way of, of giving thanks. Okay? A worldly way of giving thanks. And that's what I want to look, about, look at uh, today. The title of my message this morning, and forgive me, Felicia, I didn't get the change. This is initially the direction I thought I was going to go in. This one is called Some Features of Godly Gratitude. Features of Godly Gratitude is the title of my message today. This section in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 10, is all one sentence in the original Greek, in Paul's original writing there. It's been divided up in English to help us kind of grasp the flow of thought. These long, huge, what we would call run-on sentences are not uh, easily brought into English. But the whole section hinges on one verb in verse 2. The whole section hinges on one verb. We give thanks. So for like eight verses here, Paul is sort of expressing thanks and, and connecting all of these pieces in those first few verses back to his giving thanks to his reasons for being thankful. All the other points Paul is making in this section relate back to that one verb, we give thanks. So the main point here in this section is about thanksgiving, giving thanks. And I don't think we should just run past these short sections in the New Testament letters, right? If you get familiar with Paul's letters and, and sort of the flow and you get to that thanksgiving part there at the beginning, it's easy to just kind of tune it out or gloss right over it. And we Perhaps miss some things, I think, when we do that. There's something very important in these notes of thanks that Paul uh, expresses in these letters. Of course, all of this, Paul being moved along by the Holy Spirit for us, for our sakes, and for our good, these words have been preserved. So there's something here for us. But before we jump into this section, I want us to think for a moment about Charlie Anderson gratitude. To think for a moment about this kind of, of, uh, of whatever it was that we saw there um, at this meal in the movie Shenandoah, about the sort of giving thanks we saw there. We might call this, again, worldly gratitude. Maybe this is gratitude that comes natural to us, right? That's, that's fleshly, that's just our natural way of, of maybe giving thanks. Let me say that uh, even though this is the kind of gratitude that we should expect from, from, from the world and from folks that are uh, not believers and that haven't given their life to Jesus, we can all be honest and say we are like that too many days, are we not? We have all so many reasons to give thanks. 
and yet we still struggle with these things. But a few things we might point out about this, what we call maybe worldly gratitude. And the first thing is that it's, you might say, entitled. It's an entitled kind of gratitude. It might say thank you, but really underneath there is a belief that the the gift or the thing that was done for them, that they're giving thanks for, whatever it might be, was really a right, was something that they were entitled to. So the thank you is really a way of saying, thanks for doing what I deserve to have you do anyways. And that's kind of what we see in Charlie Anderson's prayer. Well, thanks, Lord, but no thanks, because I did all the work. And therefore, the good food we're eating here is what I deserved, because I did all this hard work for it. That's maybe one thing we could say about worldly gratitude is it's kind of entitled. It expects the thing that was given or done. Another thing we might say about is about it is that it's not sincere, right? It's merely a ritual or performance. Again, we get this from the prayer we just observed, right? It's let's say grace before a meal, but there's no real grace happening um, in that moment. I think we find this kind of gratitude common today, right? We may know there's this sort of vestige of, of this sense of like we should say thank you, but we don't really mean it, right? We just say it. The heart's not truly grateful, so we might call it uh, insincere or a ritual of some sorts. Another thing we see about worldly gratitude is that it is often dependent upon our circumstances, right? When things go well, we give thanks. And when things don't go well, we withhold it or we grumble. Is that not how we are, right? I was having a a moment last night and my poor wife was trying to help me through it. And I was really having a hard time giving thanks, even though that was what I should be doing. Another feature of Um, What we might call worldly, fleshly gratitude is that it is infrequent. Expressions of gratitude are infrequent in many places, and in part because of the previous point. We only say it or feel it when things are going well. Well, how often is all of life going well? Rarely, right? There's Yeah, exactly, never, never. There's always something to grumble about, which means we are often not thankful. Of course, there's many other things we could say about this form of gratitude. We don't want to dwell on that, but I want to kind of make a contrast here with uh, with what I'm going to say in a moment. But those are a few points that quickly came to mind as I thought about the, the sort of common kind of gratitude that we, we just find in the broader cu- culture. And sadly, that exists uh, very much in the church today, too. But the kind of giving thanks we see here in these couple of verses before us today and in all of Paul's letters um, is quite different. In fact, at every point, it's different. And I hope we'll see that as we walk through. The first thing we're going to see is that true Christian gratitude is total. It's total, okay? T-O-T-A-L, total. Our main character in the Shenandoah movie sees the food, but struggles to give thanks for it because he believes they should receive credit or that they did all of this stuff to get the food and deserve the food and they were partaking because they had earned it, quite frankly, and worked hard for it, right? They'd done all the work to bring the food to the table. And at the end of the prayer, he just kind of stamps God on top. 
Paul is a different way of looking at things. Paul sees the food, if you will, and gives thanks, but he doesn't stop there. Paul also sees the work and the labor that was done and also gives thanks to God for that as well. Let's read verses 2 and 3 again. If you have your Bible there. And, it's, and it comes through in different translations differently. I'll be reading from the ESV. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 there is dependent upon verse 2. As I said, grammatically in the original, all of the other clauses that follow from the we give thanks hinge on the we give thanks. One uh, New Testament scholar puts it this way, quote, it gives the immediate reason for the thanksgiving before the Father. The Thessalonians threefold work, labor and perseverance, or as Some translations have it, steadfastness. So the work, the faith, the perseverance are he's giving thanks to God for those things is the way it reads in the original. In other words, Paul's thanking God for every part of the process. He's thanking him for the faith and for all that the faith produced as well. He realizes that faith is upstream and the works are downstream from the faith. In other words, Paul sees if it weren't for God's grace, the Thessalonians would not be saved, nor would they be doing any of the good things they're presently doing. Only by God's grace. This produced a gratitude to God for all that the Thessalonians were doing. You see, Paul understood something about human nature. Sometimes we're not grateful because we don't have a right view of ourselves. I think this is where Mr. Anderson uh, falls short. We think we're pretty good people who deserve pretty good things. Paul knows apart from God, you and I would do no good thing. As we confessed earlier out of Romans 7, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry carry it out. All the good things that you and I do are only done in the grace of God. So it's right to give thanks for them. Too often we boast of the good things we've done or we think we're entitled to good things. This only shows we do not understand ourselves and who we truly are before a holy God. Some of you are part of the women's group that's uh, going through Johnny... Uh, Erickson Tata's book, Heaven. And as you know, Johnny is a quadriplegic, which means that she is, she has a kind of paralysis that affects all four of her limbs, her arms and her legs. And there's very little that Johnny can do on her own. Though with a lot of practice and time and effort, she's learned to do some things on her own. Our condition spiritually is even worse than hers is physically. Apart from God, you and I can do nothing that is truly good. Nothing that is truly good apart from God. You say, well, I know people who are atheists who do good things all the time. You're missing my point. 
Anyone out there can do things that outwardly look good, that mean some kind that meet some kind of general standard of goodness when compared with other people who are all sinners. Right? Some good standard that we've put up ourselves. We say, this is what good is. And yeah, those people over there, they look pretty good compared to that standard. Well, God's standard's a mile up compared to other people. We all look decent. There's always somebody else out there who's worse. But these acts are not truly good. One, if they're compared to God's perfect standard, but also if they're not done from a heart that gives thanks and praise to God. You and I can do good things all the time, and perhaps we do, but we're doing it for ourselves or for some other reason and not for God, perhaps. I'm not accusing, I'm just saying. As a sinner, as a fellow sinner who does this all the time, right, and struggles with this myself. If our good deeds are not done out of right motive or desire, they are not truly good before God. If our hearts are like a big, think of a big nasty factory full of pollutants, right? Then any water drawn out of the river right behind the factory is also polluted. This is why Jesus said we must be born again. We must be given a new heart before we can do anything that is truly right and good before God. You've got to remove the factory that's pouring chemicals and sin into the, to the river, right? Before we can do Things that are truly and purely good before God. And you and I can be born again through faith and trust in Jesus. This is the way Paul sees the world. And this is why he gives thanks to God for all that the Thessalonians are doing. God removed the nasty nasty sin factory on the river. Removed it. And put in something good and pure and beautiful that could produce good works and they were producing them so he sees god's work in them and secondarily is acknowledging their faithfulness to live in that way but his primary thanks is before god saying god thank you for what you have done in their lives so it's total right it's giving thanks here for paul is total everything that comes out that is good is a reason to give thanks. And of course, Paul says in other places, even, even um, tough circumstances are things to give uh, thanks for. And now to our second point. True gratitude is not dependent upon circumstances. True Christian gratitude. This point actually flows right out of the first one. True Christian gratitude is not dependent upon circumstances. Do you remember... The circumstances surrounding the writing of this letter, which we looked at uh, last week. Uh, Felicia, you can pull up that map. I'm not going to talk much about the map, but basically, just very quickly to say, um, if you'll remember, Paul was here and got a, received a vision of a man over in Macedonia saying, come over here and, and help us and Share the word with us, basically. And so Paul does that. And he comes over and, and he makes his way eventually uh, to Thessalonica here. And they, what do they do? He's there for a few weeks and they preach in the synagogues. People are saved. A lot of other folks get mad and run him out of town. And he goes to Berea and they do the same thing to him there. They, they run him out uh, of town. And he comes down here and he gets to Athens and I guess he hangs there for a little bit. 
And, uh, and he's worried about the Thessalonians. He's deeply burdened because these people were saved and they had begun you know, forming a, a church and meeting and, and, and you know, sharing the word with others. And then he was run out. And he's like, I don't know how my, my little flock's doing. And he was worried about them. So he sends uh, Timothy up to check on them. And in the meantime, he goes over to Corinth. And later on, Timothy uh, comes back down and gives him an update. And, um, and that prompts this letter. Okay? That prompts the writing of, of the letter here. <clears throat> so when you think of those circumstances... You know, again, I'm not giving you every detail here, but um, remember, Paul was booted out. An angry mob threw him out. And the word he actually uses of um, uh, sort of his, his desire to write was that uh, was a word that where we get our word orphan from. He felt as like a parent being torn away from his, his children. That was his feeling for them. And so he writes. He was very concerned for them. And after being away, um, he gets this report and writes a letter, and he reported, Timothy reported that they were doing well overall. So Paul gives thanks. However, the situation is not great. Right? The church is being persecuted. Paul, again, was run out of town, as we just heard. You can read about that in Acts 17. That's where we, we looked a bit last week. Enemies are stirring up trouble. And in Second Thessalonians, we even learn that someone forged a letter, basically pretending to be Paul and his associates, that was confusing um, a lot of people and misleading the church. But despite all of those things, Paul gives thanks. How easy it would be to sink into, and this is what I was doing last night with my poor wife, uh, who you know does nothing but show me constant grace and uh, acceptance when I don't deserve it. How easy it would be to sink into, why, oh Lord, is all of this happening? Why don't you just do away with the evildoers and deal with the problem and Cast them out and, and just, you know, support your little church, God. And, you know, why can't life be easier? Here I am trying to serve the Lord, and it's just one problem after another. Does Paul do that? No. Paul, at least from this section here, we get no impression that that's going on in Paul's heart. And this is where we see how this point flows right out from the first point. Paul knew that in and of himself, all he deserved was God's judgment. He knew that each and every one of them, and us here, myself included, was by nature, as the Bible teaches, Paul says this in other writings of his, was, he was by nature a child of wrath, is the word that's used in, of, of, uh, of us. Born in sin and deserving of separation from God forever. Right? It's hard to talk about that. That's who we are. That's what the Bible says. We like to cherry pick and not think about these things, but this is what the scriptures say. What that means is that every good thing that happened to him, every good thing that ever happened to Paul or to the Thessalonians or to you or me, is what? It's grace and mercy. Every good thing that's ever happened to you is grace. And bad things that happen, again, if, you, if you're seeing the world with these glasses, when bad things happen, it's not surprising because we live in a fallen world and you know what? I'm a sinner. I'm not getting anything I don't deserve, right? 
The great mystery of the Bible is not how bad things happen to good people. The mystery of the Bible is how such amazingly good things are done to people who are so evil. This is Paul's view, start to finish. Paul looks upon the afflictions of the church in Thessalonica. And what he sees is not such wonderful people being given a big mess that they didn't deserve. Which, of course, would lead to what? Grumbling and, oh, why is this happening? And, oh, right? What he sees are sinners saved by God's outlandish, ridiculous, amazing grace who are persevering under trial because of that amazing grace given to them by a generous and kind God. That's what Paul sees. And what's the result? He gives thanks. He gives thanks. He's overjoyed that God has been so kind to them. Even in suffering, Paul and this little church are blown away at God's amazing grace. Their gratitude is not dependent upon circumstances. And this flows into our final point, that true Christian gratitude is unceasing. This is our last point. It's unceasing, or we could say steadfast, right? Lasting. We live in a throwaway culture today where we use something once or just a few times and then throw it out. If something breaks, we rarely try and fix it. And I admire some of you folks out there. Some of y'all are really good about trying to fix things and Get a little more life out of them. I was chatting with a gentleman up here who just moved into the area from the northern part of New York State, I believe. And and I had on these tattered jeans. I'd just come from being at Waterbrooks, and I was was getting looks everywhere I went because I had these huge holes in my jeans. And I had patched them. Well, I didn't. My precious wife did. had patched them many, many times, and the patches were falling off. Right? Um, many of you value that kind of thing, right? Let's, let's get as much out of it as we can. But that's not our culture today, is it? Our culture is use it once, use it a few times, throw it away. Right? And for many people today, even faith is like that. Faith is sort of like, well, I'll try it for a little while and things get a little better and feel a little better. Yeah, I'll hang with it. And if I don't, throw it away. Try something else. That's the mentality in many places today there is nothing throwaway about these words from god before us today notice the use of the two words always and constantly in verse two these are not throwaway words paul is always giving thanks and constantly praying for them he's enduring in his thanksgiving for these people and then notice in verse three the word he uses to describe the hope of the thessalonians steadfast Some translations have endurance. All of these words are getting at the idea of something lasting, something enduring, something not to just be thrown out with the morning's rubbish. True Christian gratitude is like that. It's strong. It's solid. It's enduring. Greater than circumstances. Not something that wears out and needs to be discarded. Why is true Christian Christian gratitude something that happens always? In all circumstances. Why is it enduring in this way? Well, I've already mentioned some of the rationale behind that, but we have even more clues uh, right here in our passage. Notice verse 3 again with me. If you look at your Bible there, there's three key words there that are commonly found in Paul's letters, and he mentions here, mentions those words here in this 
passage there, faith, love, and hope. These are words that are found multiple times clustered together in uh, Paul's writings. These three are often linked. We see it in Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and here in 1 Thessalonians where Paul mentions these three words together. And the way he uses them and the emphasis he applies depends on the context in each case. So he doesn't use them the exactly the same way in each place. However, um, usually the final one that's mentioned is the one upon which Paul's putting the stress, right? Paul's putting the stress. And we tend to put the emphasis on love whenever we read those three, just because of of, of, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love endure, right? But the greatest of these is love. We tend to put the emphasis on love whenever we see them together. But here, the final word in the three that is mentioned is hope. And scholars believe the emphasis lies on this quality here in this passage because of the overarching theme of hope in the second coming that is put forward throughout this letter. Right? Paul is continually pointing to the second coming and talking about it in this letter. The significance of hope here cannot be overstated. In context, their hope was not just placed in Jesus generically, but in the second coming of Jesus. Right? Jesus was going to come again. Verse 10, look with me right at the end of this section there. They were waiting upon the Son from heaven, it says. They were in a posture of waiting and looking and hoping and longing and desiring Jesus to return. In other words, the Thessalonians were not fixated on their troubles, right? They were not fixated on their problems and all the minutia. Right? Their hope was in something future. They were waiting on the sun from heaven. And this explains Paul's gratitude. Paul was confident that their faith and their love and their hope would endure because they were looking to Jesus. Right? If we're looking at our circumstances all the time, our circumstances are constantly changing. So no wonder if uh, you know, we're just fixated on circumstances. It's like a dance. Up and down and all over the place with our emotions. But not Paul. And not the Thessalonians. True Christian gratitude is hope-filled. And it's hope-filled because it's forward-looking. It's expecting something very, very wonderful and great. Many of you may feel this way when vacation is coming, right? Some of y'all work really hard and maybe you get some time off. And this is the way we can... Uh, get through tough things, maybe a little extra work so we can go on vacation, is by thinking about the vacation, right? You push through, you endure your boss's demands and put in extra hours because you're anticipating something great just over the horizon, namely that vacation, right? Christian gratitude is like that. It's rooted in something future that is great beyond our understanding. We have resources that are deeper and more enduring because of what we know is coming. So it gives us um, endurance. It gives us uh, resources to, to, to move through difficulty, right? When I listen to that prayer of Charlie Anderson from Shenandoah, and I know a little bit about the story, I know there's pain from loss, which is very real, right? It's very real. There's pain from working so very hard every day and just scraping by, 
Many of you know that challenge. And there's sorrow over the war that is looming around them. All that's in the backdrop of that prayer. Right? So this is not just an ornery man. He's dealing with some real tough stuff. But Charlie needs to look up. Right? Mr. Anderson needs to look up. All of those things are temporary. Those are momentary things. One day there will be no more loss. No more dying. No more tears. One day our joints won't hurt from working the land because the curse will be undone. Amen. One day there'll be no more war. Brother will not turn against brother. And all of those things are only possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus made a way for us to be with God forever and for brother to be with brother. No matter background, tribe, whatever. Right? To be together in him. He came to reverse the curse. To undo what the first Adam did. What no, what no eye has seen. What no ear has heard. And what no human mind has conceived. The things God has prepared for those who love him. God has prepared something unimaginably great for us for all who trust in Christ unimaginably great and that sustains us in the now whatever's happening around us come to Jesus today I invite you if you haven't come now come and trust him invite him into your life say Lord I see you I want to know you more help me I want to live for you. I want to have this foundation of hope and gratitude no matter what is happening in my life. Come to Jesus. And as you open your life to him, you will find a gratitude that is total. Right? That you'll begin to see him everywhere. A gratitude that's bigger than circumstances. And a gratitude that is enduring. Let's pray together now as we turn to the Lord's table together. Let's pray. Lord, um, as we come to this table, we're reminded that there was a night some 2,000 years ago when you gathered around a table with friends and no doubt there was laughter and no doubt there was real deep love and care But then there was also this moment when you said, I'm going to die and I'm going to go away, but I'll come back again. I'll, 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 I'll be raised again and I'll come um, back to life and, and all will be well. And that moment was the, 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 the final Passover. And that moment became what we now celebrate as the Lord's Supper. So whenever we celebrate this supper, we are remembering that moment. That you that moment when you gave up everything for the sake of your people. And God said so we always uh, have something to be thankful for. And in fact the very word um, that's used in the New Testament of this very sacrament, this moment, is the word thanksgiving. 
so we come to this table thankful. Not that everything is great in our lives and not that there's no problems, but thankful underneath it all for you and what you have done for us. That's an unshakable hope that we one day will be with you. The dwelling of God will be with, with us. And we will be forever secure, forever loved, and forever have everything we need. Oh Lord, we're thankful. Would you swell our hearts this morning with gratitude? Would it overflow into our community? All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.